At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombic here at The World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. You will be blown away who I'm having in the studio today. This powerful woman not only served for decades on active duty in FBI, and she was able not only to identify spies and convert them to help and support United States, but also allies and other parts of the world to make a tremendous impact and difference. She also tapped into her own mental toughness and as a result created this phenomenal book that all of us can learn from, which is Secrets on Strong Mind. And she is definitely going to share some of the mental toughness um, concepts that all of us can leverage and utilize specifically in today's world. Obviously, amazing author, great speaker, and so much more. And without further ado, I wanted to introduce you to Larry Kwai. Larry, how are you? I am so happy to be here, Isabella. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's absolute pleasure. I just want to, first of all, say thank you so much for your extraordinary work and tremendous service, and obviously tremendous impact as a result of it. Thank you so much. It was a job I loved. So it was um, like a you know, frosting on the cake to have a job you loved, as well as being able to make a positive impact. So it was the best of both worlds. Too much, Sharon. How did you even get into that? I have to say, as a girl growing up back in Europe, I was always fascinated by FBI, CIA, and Secret Service and agents. And of course, under circumstances, I came to United States, took a while to navigate everything, and unfortunately, was kind of already too late to dive into that career. <laughs> um, but do you mind sharing how did you even consider that and how all this started for you? Oh, thank you for that question. It's I, I ask myself the same question many times. Let me ask. Uh, let me tell you, I was actually born and raised on a cattle ranch in Wyoming. And um, we like to joke it, uh, you know, fast food for us was about 60, uh, hitting a deer about 60 miles an hour. But I, I went to school in a very small town and I decided, you know, if I was ever going to get out of Wyoming, it would be then. So I transferred and I went to Arizona and got a job there, graduated, got a job in retail, started off as a department manager, was on my way to become a buyer. And I just had to stop and think about um, my career there because I just it just sucked the life from my soul. It just wasn't for me. And I know of still friends who were in retail, but it didn't it didn't meet my needs. So I went back to school at Arizona State University for to get my master's. Mm. And the FBI came on campus. And even though I'd been born and you know raised on a cattle ranch with you know uh, in the mountains of Wyoming, I'd never shot a gun. So I'd never really thought about being an FBI agent. But when I interviewed, um, I think that's what they liked about me, that I wasn't entitled. I didn't, you know, I wasn't spoiled. You know, nothing had been handed to me on a, on a silver plate. In fact, I had a pretty rough upbringing. But they liked that. 
And so they offered me a job and I had to really kind of stop and think about was this right for me? And then I went to the Academy, FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. And, you know, I found myself, myself surrounded by all these Marines and army types and, and, you know, really buff men who could, you know, push out, you know, push-ups and sit-ups and, and, you know, run six miles before breakfast. And I, I really struggled. Um, I actually, um, was the 1% that makes the 99% possible because I was at the bottom when it came to push-ups, particularly. And I came very close to being washed out of the academy before I even really got started. But, you know, internally, I learned that FBI stands for fidelity, bravery, and integrity. I said, oh my God, these are values I can really get behind. Now I know why I'm a good fit for the FBI because my values and theirs matched. And that made all the difference. So that's how I got into the FBI. Wow, what amazing story. And I love that you mentioned not only what acronym stands for and obviously the values <laughs> behind it, which a lot of people don't even know, um, but, but how important it is to be identified as you said, I can overcome the push-ups because I know that all the other things are there and, and I can I can over time get where I need to be, right? So that you can also pass the physical exam or physical test. So with, it, with that in mind, how was for you to be a woman? I'm sure it's very small percentage, even today, a little on at that time, uh, which we're talking about at least a few decades ago, right? Yes, With a yes. very different story. It was a very different story. And usually, frequently, almost always, I was the only female on the squad. And I have to say, I think FBI male agents are gentlemen. I, I have loved every single one I've worked with. However, they didn't exactly invite me into their fold when I showed up at the front door. Mm -hmm. And it, I, they would, you know, grab their jackets at five o'clock to go to happy hour together. And I was never invited. Um, I mean, that was not a big deal, but it was, I just knew I was on the outside. I wasn't the one getting the best cases either. Um, on the other hand, I was the new agent. So, you know, you, you, you have to sort of balance what you may feel is happening versus what you know, what is actually happening in someone else's perspective. So I decided right then and there, I wasn't, you know, if I wanted to get the good cases, I would have to go out and get them myself, right? They weren't mm -hmm. going to be handed to me. Uh, but I also understood and saw that there were other male agents that were marginalized as well. So I, I realized it might not be entirely because I was female. So what I did is I just identified one or two of the older male agents who were very good at their job. I mean, they had all the best cases. They had the results. Um, they, they did their job with you know, exemplary. And so I just started watching them. And basically, I imitated them. I didn't ever ask for a formal mentorship because I knew that would go over like a lead balloon. That just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, it was an informal mentor relationship where it was, I was, uh, you know, taking and they were giving uh, without even knowing it, but I copied their style and the, their work ethic, which was amazing. And I went out there and I found some of my own cases 
And when you do that, you run a lead and you you develop your own caseload, then there, there's nobody going to take it away from you because you develop the lead. You've got the ownership of it. And that's what I did. So I didn't worry a lot about being the only female. Um, I didn't even really worry about not being included because I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an FBI agent working good cases. So I never did develop a lot of close relationships, really, with my my fellow agents, but they were all very good friends. Mm. And I think, you know, yeah, Isabella, I just think it's so important for women to take to take the initiative to to raise their hand, whether or not they feel 100 percent capable. Men don't feel 100% capable when they raise their hand for something. If they feel they they feel they have 50% under their belt that they can do it, they'll they'll, they'll go for it. Women, you know, they'll they'll hesitate. It's like, "No, I don't know if I know how to do that. I need to be 100% prepared." And I just never really allowed myself to fall into that rut. And because I knew that's where I'd grow. You know, in those areas I didn't know 100%. Mm, that is brilliant advice. And I love how you learned uh, what to ask or not to ask or how to ask and still receive what you needed and then how to apply and prove yourself and obviously show them what you're capable of because of specifically when so many eyes on you, right? And when you really are starting new, you wanted to make sure not only you follow the standards, but you also are able to show them the value that you bring to the table. And you develop such a keen sense and understanding human psychology because you have to be so good to solve the mysteries and to detect world spies and be able to really engage on that. So I'm curious, what would you say was really pivotal and essential in that process because right now we're seeing so many behavioral issues we've never seen in modern time and those I'm sure lessons can be tremendously helpful for our listeners well that's a great question Isabella and thank you for asking it I I worked a lot of undercover because when when you start to try to recruit a foreign spy to work for the United States government, there's a a lot of different ways you can go about it, right? But undercover is often a very easy way to assess, as you were talking about, another person. So when I went, they sent me back to Quantico, um, to the FBI Academy, when I to get um, certified to be an undercover agent. And you know, and I thought I'd be taught all the really cool things like how to, you know, scissor kick in high heels and all the things you see on TV. And so I was a bit surprised when we started out in the behavioral science unit and we took a series of questionnaires. Basically, it was all about self-awareness. That is the place we started, was becoming aware of who we were, recognizing our own traits and our own predispositions um, and responses. And by that, it opened up, the as you mentioned, the world of psychology. Because then I began to understand more about behavior in general. The best person to practice on is yourself. I mean, getting to know yourself and your own responses and reactions, your emotions, and when do your emotions sabotage you? And are you living by your values? And all of those things, which sound like very soft skills, and they are, but they're essential if you really want to 
understand another person. And that was my job. I worked counterintelligence and espionage. And my job was to recruit foreign spies to work with the US government, FBI in particular. So I needed to do that. I needed to understand what made these people tick. And so that started my whole, um, I would say love affair, but <laughs> my fascination with psychology and neuroscience, because neuroscience can tell us so much about the way, you know, the mind works. And I have always said, you change the mindset, you change the behavior, you change the outcome. So those have been the words I've lived by. Wow, what a brilliant, again, advice and journey. And let's depict this for a second. I'm sure that we can learn all so much in your amazing book and your second edition that I also was having a chance to order, not yet to read, I have to confess, but preview. And I'm super excited. I cannot wait to get my hands on. But really also, as you mentioned, how much behaviors um, need to change in, in order to produce different results. And we're seeing so many people stuck or being in very dysfunctional environments or just simply not taking ownership. And one thing what I hear, hear you say here, it's that beautiful consistency of using that sense of ownership and applying to yourself and taking the full responsibility, operate under very strong values, not deteriorate from that, and then showing up and then adjust as you go. Um, with that in mind, I'm curious... What were some of really some of the most thrilling moments in your life when you felt like you really succeeded as a result, how you applied yourself? Well, um, I think any time in my job that I was able to meet uh, a foreign spy, nose to nose, knee to knee, and have those discussions about what was important to them and maybe what was missing from their 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 job with the Russian intelligence service, the Chinese intelligence service, you name it, what was missing? And so many times under those regimes, intelligence officers are aren't really super really recruited in the same way an FBI agent would be recruited. But it's usually a lot of nepotism where dad was in it, or you know what I'm saying, a family member got them in. And it wasn't because they really desired to do it themselves. It was just a job. And it was a job handed to them that had, you know, a lot of prestige and the opportunity to travel or whatever, but their heart wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't in it. Going back to what you had said about values. Um, when Once you understand what that and identify that soft underbelly, um, then you know where, how to probe further. So I think my successes would have to be around getting to know people, understanding them, not putting them in a, a category or in a box and say, you know, just because you're a, you're, I know you're a Russian spy and I know this and this and this, but when you get to know people one-on-one, -on -one, politics aside, um, that is where the real that's where the real jewel is. At least it was for me. And I really felt what I was offering them was far better than what they were leaving behind. So I, and I would never ever want to put anyone in a position where they would be hurt or, um, it, where, where there would be consequences in an, you know, negative consequences to what they did. So I was always very cautious about that. And I, I, I take a level of pride in that because I always strive to put people before anything else. And, 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 and I'm working towards these, um, you know, the resolution of a case. 
Mm. Very powerful. And right now, as we see the landscape of current state of the world, not just the, our country, and when we really look at how things are moving, regardless of politics, uh, and when you mentioned, through my work with over 120 countries, very close with people that endured the worst possible human atrocities, it's, it's very difficult not to get involved. It's very difficult not to uh, just, just to sit and be complacent and not to uh, leverage whatever skill, connection, relationship you have to really change the outcome. And as a result, I'm sure people don't really realize how those efforts accumulate tremendous impact and how they may be derailed or stop derailing things uh, in the wrong direction or how much they ensured um, as a result safety and peace in certain parts of the world where it will be very different outcome. Like right now, unfortunately, that we're seeing that it's going on in Ukraine. Yeah. So that humanitarian effort and human effort, uh, it's wonderful to hear how much you take in pride, but also how much you contribute to shape the better world as a result of it. You know, um, Isabella, one of the things that bothers me a lot is how the FBI is portrayed in movies and books and TV shows, you know, hard hitting and, and to them and to the audience, it's like mental toughness is just plowing your way through an obstacle or attacking a problem. But really mental toughness is managing your emotions, your thoughts, and your behavior in ways that will set you up for success. And so it, so those, those things do need to happen. We do have guys that kick in doors and we do have, you know, arrests and we do go after, um, and obviously that our goal is to take criminals off the streets, whether they're, um, you know, extortionists or terrorists or foreign spies, each one deserves its own approach. And uh, there are times when you absolutely have to slap somebody down, just throw them in the jail and that's fine. Um, but a lot of what the FBI does is a, a wee bit more sophisticated. We have the more sophisticated cases, whether they be white collar crime, terrorism, or counterintelligence. And that takes a lot more thought. It's more, um, it's, it's not so much just um, punching your way through the problem. It's thinking and feeling your way through the problem as well. And that's what a lot of stuff out there about the FBI is about. And it's wrong it's misleading. And I, I just hear the, the most bizarre things out of people's mouths when they ask me questions about the FBI. Oh, did they, they encourage that raid or, or, or that insurrection or whatever? I'm going, are you kidding? We are at the side of law enforcement. I mean, but people are buying this, this message and it, and it just really bothers me. It's too I'm bad. I'm glad you're highlighting that and we'll definitely get more deeper into this because you you spot on. It's a different when we see something that makes look at, it's like they're heroes, right? And they're helping people that truly need a help. And that's kind of how I remember when I was a child that started that way. And that's where the fatuation became so strong and the older I get, but then you spot on as you really then encounter real life danger and conflict yeah. and on the large global scale. And when you start seeing how so many elements of propaganda, the media, different interests uh, misportray yeah. and, and shift things, all of a sudden it's like a constant chest game that's constantly spinning and you never know who's going to make a next move because the rules that we're supposed to apply in chess don't apply anymore and, and right. you just simply don't know which hand is coming uh next and and what they're going to either add or take on the table 
And then that is also really bringing that element. I just, just said that emotional toughness and, and that mental toughness that so many people are struggling here with, specifically during the current times. And one of my theories, we don't have typically average American that build not only emotional intelligence, but emotional capacity to handle at the same time with so many issues. And as a result, we're seeing unprecedented types of behavior, lashing, and, 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 and we can go on and on. We don't want to dwell on negativity. But with that in mind, do you mind sharing how your book came about and what did you try to address so the audience can capitalize on this amazing lifelong education that you're now giving so beautifully in your book? Thank you so much. Um, I, I've always wanted to write. So when I retired, I, you know, I had to think about what that next step was going to be. And I, I realized that that next step was going to be unpacking the first step, which was my, you know, my upbringing in Wyoming, um, growing up poor. I mean, we grew, we were poor, but how, how to keep a, a positive attitude, even when things are not great around you, but moving forward with positivity. And then my experiences in the FBI. And again, it was just a desire to share some of the, the tenets, the more important tenets of what it takes to be have a strong mind. And I know I didn't, I wasn't hatched with a strong mind. It was something I developed and learned over the, over time. And it's something I'm still learning. But um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to put this together in a, in a, in a, in a book, in something that was easy to read. And the book itself will talk about the value of authenticity, because I learned a lot about being authentic, um, working undercover, let me tell you. And there's a couple of stories in that book, which will clearly illustrate um, grit, the importance of grit, resilience, positive thinking, self-awareness, which is considered such a soft skill but it's what will make you strong. It's it, you need to understand yourself um, so you can predict your your response rather than just react to something that's going on around you. Because there's something you don't want to do as an FBI agent carrying a gun is simply react emotionally. You need to be logical in your thinking and use positive thinking, which is not which is very different than optimism. Because I wouldn't say most agents are optimists, but they are positive thinkers. Because positive thinkers believe that they will prevail in their circumstances without expecting their circumstances to change. Optimists do expect their circumstances to change and for the better. So it was just marrying these different philosophies that had come to own and I had take I had taken ownership of as an agent for 25, 24 and a bit years. And so that that is how it started. And then I, after that, I put together a corporate training program. So I also have an online um, on-demand corporate training program or training program for anybody really uh, called Secrets of a Strong Mind. So, you know, I'm still working at it. 
Wow, such a humble person you are uh, with such a tremendous uh, track record. I feel like you are definitely ma on mastery level and everybody listening and watching, it's a beautiful not only to go and check your website, which will provide the links, but also your book that is available on Amazon. But what I really wanted to share here, and I love that you bring in this up, uh, up again, that how much we really misportray, quote unquote, those soft skills. And I am 100% with you. Those are essential skills. That is where we really every single child in elementary and high school should be equipped with before they even consider college or career or any decisions it, because they are part of self-discovery and the part of really makeup of where you want it to go, where you feel strongly about it. And sadly, while we have such a huge gap, I'm sure you could you can attest to this right now in corporate arena and any other, it's definitely political arena, where we have those essential skills lacking so badly. And as a result, we see more conflict, we see more negativity, and we see really more crisis. So please, if you don't mind sharing, what would you say now with that level of velocity as like, where would you suggest everybody listening and watching, not only to equip themselves, but their teams and, mm -hmm. and, and, and what outcome this can really produce? Well, I think it's really important for leadership to exhibit um, um, clear values. I think that's where it starts to begin with. Um, whether you're a politician or a teacher or a cashier, it doesn't matter the job. But what does matter is that you connect in some way with what you're doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, it's, it's, it's essential that leaders be able to, to share what is important to them. And that, that is a soft skill because it's also communication in a way that's, that's legitimate and that is authentic. And the other thing is authenticity because mm -hmm. we're so many of us are just walking around with somebody else's face on really. I mean, it's how should I look or how should I appear? And those are important on the outside, but what's really is important is who you are inside. And oh, by the way, do you know who you are inside? I mean, a lot of people don't. And I, I just find that very sad. And when we come to a crisis, and if we don't really know ourselves, if we don't know our values, if we don't know what creates that fire in our belly, then the first time something difficult comes up, we might just give up or, you know, try something easier. And the, the thing is that if you want to be if we want to be a successful adult, we need to understand how to deal with failure. We need to understand how to move into the unknown. I mean, agents are trained to land on their feet when confronted with the unknown, because that's what our job is. We never know. I mean, it, it, what's going to happen? Is it going to be an arrest? Is somebody going to take a, a you know a swing at you or fire a bullet or? or, or want to sit down to have a conversation. So you need to have a full understanding of how you're going to respond in all of those situations, because you don't want your emotions or your lack of confidence to sabotage you when it really matters. And in leadership, no matter where, where it is, where corporate America or politics or in your own school district or in your own home, 
it's really important, I think, to be able to relate to people and under try to understand where that other person is coming from, because we're not getting that right now. We're not getting this dialogue. We're getting, uh, you know, monologues or soliloquies about what you, well, this is what I think you should believe. And it's disrespectful to the person you're talking to. And it shows you, that person's lack, total lack of empathy, lack of understanding for anybody but themselves. And this selfishness has really sort of gotten us into a pickle because, I mean, it's it's all about me. And so no wonder there's a lot of crisis in the world because that is not a way to live life. And it's certainly not a way to grow in any, in whether you're corporate America or as a person. Mm, such a powerful insights. And I love what you said, uh, specifically around self, uh, being in, uh, in self, uh, selfish and then how to, to convert that and to be selfless. Because uh, when I came from Europe to the United States, I was shocked how much that independence and being so independent and being on your own was so valued and then was so interesting that I said, it's like, this is so artificial. We're not meant to be, yes, we can be independent, but not to be so alone and, and lonely. And then COVID just proved mm -hmm. that more than ever that that really backfired because people in, in, in general terms don't feel good about it. And then we don't know how to share. We don't know how to support each other in effective ways. and then coexist or cohabitate or, or or just simply uh, be able to not feel like if somebody else is maybe doing better than I am, it's taking something away from me. It's just the opportunity for all of us to elevate each other and grow. And I, that mindset, I really feel like you totally spot on is getting us a lot in trouble, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And it's preventable. I mean, really, it's preventable. And it's almost like you're on a you know, like on a, on a circus ride or something and a merry-go-round, you, you, you just don't know how to get off it. And we don't give ourselves permission to get off this me wheel. You know what I mean? It's all about me. Um, and you know, it's, it's fueled, I think, by this obsession we have right now with happiness. We must be happy all the time. And that's, that's just, it's, it's damaging to our psyche because happiness is really important, but it's a fleeting emotion. It's not where we stay all the time. I'm happy when I have an, an ice cream or I'm with my little puppy, but, but, and those are high, those are peaks. There are things that are wonderful, but you don't live there. And people are just so, they're always clamoring for, you know, what, what is my passion? You know, what makes me happy? And that's almost the first thing you always read in a self-help book, find your passion. But passion is for amateurs because it's where we stop on our way to doing something more meaningful because passion is all about me. What can the world give to me? Instead, we need to live for purpose, not passion, but purpose, because purpose is what we can give to the world. It's no longer me-centric. And, and as long as we have this um, this mindset out there, it, it's going to continue. It's, it'll be that merry-go-round that just keeps going around and nobody knows how to get off of it. Wow. That is such an important distinction. And I love, I love how you beautifully explained that. 
And for everybody watching again and listening, make sure you guys are not only connecting with Laura, Laura Kwai, uh, and then also be able to uh, learn about her amazing, amazing book that I, again, based on just what I had a chance to lean in and, and read a little bit, um, I cannot wait to go and deep dive but also program that she's offering an opportunity to truly learn from subject matter expert that lived that for decades and where was her life depending on and life for so many other people. And as a result can really get us faster, quicker to results that we're seeking on individual level and on the team level and organizational level right now, because all of us can use those principles uh, with that in mind, if you don't mind, just leave an audience with one thing, if they could just, if they change one thing to propel them in that right direction, what would be your advice? I think I would encourage people to be positive in the way that they experience life. I mean, if you're a negative person, you're always going to find something wrong. Even if you're a positive person, you're going to be confronted with negative things all the time. Um, I, I was in one of my um, requirements at the FBI Academy was to jump from a, a, a diving board into a pool of water uh, with an M16 and then swim to the other side. And I didn't know how to swim. So I, I, or, and I was afraid of, of heights, which I didn't know until I got up there. But anyway, I knew I had to do it. And there was a lot of negative going on in my mind. I just knew that if I took that step, I'd drown and die. But if I didn't, my dream of becoming an FBI agent would be the thing to die. So I just automatically, I mean, it was like, I was full of fear. And I one by one just started thinking of the positive things. Um, you know, my coach was a good swimmer, he could probably save me. I had not heard that an FBI agent had drowned in this exercise. I knew they wouldn't want the FBI, the lawsuit that the FBI would receive from my parents if I did drown. And then finally, I realized that I really felt the FBI was my path forward. Those, but you have to really pack the positive because we're naturally, we're, our brain is wired to be negative. It's its first reaction. It's just, and that is to keep us safe. So it's the negative is what it's going to cling to in every situation. It's like, it's like Velcro, it sticks where um, positive is like Teflon. It's nice to have, but it's not going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? It's your life doesn't depend on it. Right. And so you have to work at being positive. You have to work at looking at your situation in a thorough manner, inside and out and coming up with the positive aspects. So that would be my, I would just encourage people to take that on, make that a goal to just look at the positive in your situation, even if your situation is not perfect. Mm, what a gold, what an amazing advice again. I wish I heard that years and years ago because it took a lot of pain and trial and error, I have to say. So this is absolutely gold. So in closing, if you don't mind just sharing, obviously you lived your legacy. You was leading with that legacy most of your life and your career path and how do you switch from those early upbringing and your circumstances how you were raised to really create a path and career for yourself and obviously support others in the process and now that you're retired obviously you know you are now establishing completely another level another layer of leading living 
uh, your legacy. So do you mind sharing what's left in your bucket list and what else would you like to accomplish and uh, leave behind for generations to come? Thank you for that, Isabella. I would like to say that if people are curious as to whether or not they're mentally tough, I have a free mental toughness assessment on my website. So just go to lorayquai.com and you'll find it. And it's free. You know, there's no, you don't have to pay for it, but it's like, it's, it's, it's been validated by Arizona state university's behavioral science department. So um, I just, I just encourage folks if they have a question to go ahead and do that on my bucket list. Um, I've always wanted to be an artist. So I've started painting and um, I've actually painted quite a few uh, larger pieces, like four feet by six feet. And I have a, I have three in a local um, art gallery here in Scottsdale. So that's, that's next on my bucket list. I think we should always be striving for something. I mean, you know, I don't want to sit on my rear end and twiddle my thumbs. You know, it's not me. That is amazing. Congratulations. Wow, that is great. I love the expression. So now you are going to be writing more books and I'm assuming also doing more and more painting and, and, and expressing yourself as an artist. Yes. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you, Isabella. And leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.